Hey, welcome to our fifth holiday podcast. And uh, in this podcast, we listen to Floyd McClung as he pours his heart out on the essentials of the movement. And really, this is a fantastic podcast because we really start to look at the essence of what is a disciple, what kind of person it is that uh, God uses. Here, Floyd pours out his heart as passion oozes from his soul, as the wisdom of his years in being in mission oozes out, and the fact that his belief that everybody is involved, everyone's called to be missionaries, and there's some fantastic quotes here. You might even want to grab a pen and paper and just to, just to grab and record some of the, the gold here that Floyd is pouring out. So here we are, Floyd McClung, you are God's mission force. I was talking to, uh, to Ron up in Queensland's way during the break time, and he was just, we were just talking about, I guess the way to summarize it would be the challenge of asking God to let us to be a part of igniting a movement, being a part of a movement, in a, in a context where there's a lot of Christians. My biggest challenge is Christians. <laughs> uh, that's the biggest threat we have. To, um, to movements that we are part of. Um, so in the little movement that we're part of, it's got going the last few years, we actually try to hide everything we're doing from Christians. <laughs> because uh, for several reasons, people come for the wrong motivation, they come, it takes a lot of time and energy, uh, they come with different DNA, different kind of vision and values. Uh, I have people calling, writing email all the time, coming in our office. When, when is your service? We would love to attend. You're such a wonderful man. And we hide our meetings from people. <laughs> we just don't tell them. Uh, what we do invite them to do is go prayer walking or go outreach with us into the most difficult, dangerous places. And that tends to help. And the people we get are usually actually crazy or really, really radical. (laughs) Um, And then when we talk to people, we just explain this is our mission. And if you want to go and be involved in reaching people who don't know Jesus, then great. So the way to join a movement is not through a Sunday meeting. If that's the doorway for you, you're probably going to have problems. I would suggest the doorway not be through a Sunday celebration. If you do keep one or you have one, let the doorway be through connecting around the mission you have. So these three dimensions, worship, community, and mission. Make mission the threshold, not worship and celebration. And see what's in people's hearts. And... I would encourage you to kind of protect the community in terms of new believers from people who are kind of spiritual tourists wanting to check it out because it's not going to really help to have a lot of people coming in and out. Um, So maybe that'll just be a helpful thought about that. So movements have six characteristics. I've added one, by the way, that you'll see this to the five that Steve has. Passionate spirituality. Every movement 
is much more oriented toward obedience and life and action than sitting around and studying and discussing and thinking about it. Uh, Theoreticians, armchair kind of people really don't actually get much going in movement. So you've got to be involved. It's, it's got to be obedience. It's going, making, baptizing, teaching. That's what uh, makes the heart of a movement happen. So there's passionate spirituality. You see it in fervent worship. Uh, all the arguments that people have between you know, cessationists and whether gifts exist and should you raise your hands or not raise your hands. You know, we just don't have time for those arguments when we're having fun in a movement, making disciples and the lost getting saved. And it's just not a part of most of the discussions. Um, so passionate, intense, radical, obedient spirituality, all nights of prayer, early morning prayer, um, you know, willingness to sacrifice and suffering, the fear of what do people think of me if I share Jesus. Uh, come on, you guys, you've got to get over that. that. We have to break those fear barriers we're never really going to see movements. Those movements are characterized by this kind of passion, which means abundant sowing of the gospel. It doesn't mean being clumsy or rude or insensitive, but it does include bold passion to share Jesus. Uh, When I lived in the States and pastored in the States, there were so many people who were wanting to talk about language, you know, and they were so culturally tuned. I finally just thought, this is like ridiculous. So wanting to be culturally relevant that there was no passion that was left in their cultural relevance. So we've got to capture passion if we're going to be, make a difference. Um, a commitment to a cause. The cause has to be clear. We have to define our mission and our vision. And I define it very clearly. We are passionate about loving Jesus we're passionate about making disciples amongst those who don't know Jesus. And we're passionate about caring and loving for each other. We want to see Jesus worshipped amongst all nations of the earth. We want to make disciples and train leaders to ignite movements to Christ. That's the vision. That's the mission. Come on. Let's go. Let's join that. Um, now, I, I don't presume, I've learned not to presume that people who are interested in that have actually got the basics down. Um, I don't mean to be rude, but I don't assume that us in this room have the basics down. And when I mean basics, I mean having time with Jesus every day, that he's our our source of life and comfort and identity. And I mean by basics that we are committed to making Jesus known. We share our faith boldly. And we are really involved in discipling people and growing people in faith. Those are basics. So that we want to have that down. Um, And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But a commitment to the cause. The cause is very clear. Um, Contagious relationships. People in movements attract other people to movements. It means staying culturally uh, inside the culture, so to speak. I was just talking to my brothers and sisters um, uh, here at the table. This is Danny and Shalom and Robert. Is that right? And they were just talking how they have re-engaged in the last two years, is that right? With the Hindu community of about 2,000 families, Telugu speaking Hindu families here in Melbourne. And there's some challenges with that because a lot of the cultural activities are integrated with religious, Hindu religious activities. And so one may feel challenged in that, but one, a person's gonna have to be involved in the world but not be of the world. And that means building relationships that people are actually attracted 
to the, to the Jesus that we love and serve through those relationships. Um, I, I uh, pastored for a while in the States, a church that had not really been on a journey toward sharing Jesus and discipleship and being out um, outside of the church. And I remember a lady coming to me one day, I think you'll appreciate this, and she said, if I understand you right, you're saying that I should have non-Christians in my home. And it was like she was looking at me like, you are actually leading us into this kind of heresy and this kind of compromise. And I said, yeah, what do you think of that? She said, I have spent my whole life trying to protect my family from the world. And now you're saying I should bring ungodly, worldly people right into my home. I said, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we were from two different planets. She was from Planet Safe, and I was from Planet Mission. She was from Planet Protect, and I was from Planet Die. We, we were just speaking two different languages. She was on a different rocket ship headed for another galaxy, man. Um, rapid mobilization of ordinary people. By the way, let's just go back to that contagious relationship thing. Um, leaders have to lead. If you want to lead a movement, you want to be a part of a discipling movement and really inspire that, that means you will know a lot of people who don't know Jesus. You will have to stop a lot of the activities that you're involved in if it's absorbing a lot of your time. One of the greatest enemies of a movement is Christian activity. It's really hard to be in the harvest if you spend a lot of time in the harvest training schools, with harvest manuals, (laughs) with sharpening harvest tools. You know, we gotta, we gotta like, actually know some bad people. I've met pastors who haven't been in a pub in 30 years. I think that's sad. You call them pubs here? You're going to have to get to know some bad people. You know, you're going to have to lose your reputation. You're probably going to have to stop doing a lot of stuff that you're doing to actually meet some people, to get engaged, build some relationships. Besides that, you're going to have a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> Life is to be enjoyed, and that means connecting with a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Okay, um, r- rapid mobilization of ordinary people. That means uh, an implication of that is that we don't wait for people to get mature to get engaged. We don't wait for people to get it all together to believe in them and give them an opportunity. I'm convinced that one of the things that helps people become mature is they start obeying the Great Commission. Uh, I think I have some authority to say this to you. I've, I've been involved in street ministry working with drug addicts, prostitutes, people struggling with life-controlling issues uh, in Europe and now in Africa, in the States, 
And you know what? The ones that grew the fastest in all the stuff that we've been doing was not the people who had good backgrounds, quote unquote, but it was the people who came from those other backgrounds who, who were desperate to get free and to grow. And they were hungry. And they would do whatever you said, you know, this is what we've got to do. And they would do it. And they grew like crazy. And we learned that uh, responsibility helps people grow. It sends a message. You're not a victim. You have something to contribute. I work with the poorest of the poor. I work with people who live in one-room shack homes who have nothing, nothing, nothing. I work with guys... I have to be very careful to take note because they'll go for days without a meal and they smile and they keep right on going. You know, I'm so impressed with how, how hungry they are for God. They challenge every value and all my lifestyle. I just, I just love being with these people. And you know, they, they don't have to have lots of education. You don't have to have lots of resource. I'm talking about people who don't have computers. They don't have, I mean, they're desperate to get a cell phone. I mean, cell phone technology is taking off in Africa. You have blueberries here, blackberries? Um, we call them grayberries. The cheapest phones you can buy in Africa is a little gray Nokia. So all, all the African guys call them grayberries. <laughs> you know, people don't have a lot, but they have Jesus. And they share Jesus. And they're not ashamed of Jesus. And that is the heart of a movement. I could keep going about this. <laughs> Rapid mobilization of ordinary people. Um, yeah, this is uh, Cebu in the middle. Um, Cebu is um, Zulu background. Awesome guy. Um, lives in a simple shack home making disciples, walking the streets, high crime area, uh, deeply involved, seeing people come to Jesus, starting churches. Uh, Bruce on the left is a Zambian, uh, just an awesome guy, leads teams. He's leading a project now to, on the Zambezi River. Uh, you know, ordinary people can make extraordinary contributions by just simply believing and obeying Jesus. Uh, adaptive methodology. So there's no particular model or method that is sacred. The wine is sacred. The wine skin is not. Jesus quickly introduced this change of thinking to his disciples in Luke chapter 5. Luke set the chronology very intentional in his gospel. He said, oh, Theophilus, I'm going to write to you an orderly account. I'm going to lay this out for you like it happened. So the first four chapters is how Jesus started his life, his birth, his childhood, his testing, and the declaration of what his life was about. Chapter 5, he starts recruiting disciples. And right away, he says, guys, the old way, the old wineskin. And then he says, I'm not criticizing the wineskin. If it contains wine, that's great. But he's saying, you're free. You're free to be creative. You're free to rethink it. You're free to get into a place where we get fresh containers for the wine. Movements set us free from guilt and shame about how we do church to get us focused on reaching people who are not in church. 
And that's the heart of what we're talking about. So don't worry about the form. Be committed to the life that we're talking about. The form will follow along. Adapt your methodology. And lastly, um, movements are characterized by multiple generations of disciples. Uh, I was with a young man a few years ago who's a part of a movement in the United States. Uh, He picked me up at the airport. Actually, he took me back to the airport after I'd been speaking there. I'm a part of the oversight team uh, of this church and this movement and uh, serve as a kind of an advisor to the guys. This young man was taking me to the airport, and so I said, "Uh, what's your dream? Uh, You know, I love hearing people's dreams, don't you? I just love hearing what kind of people are passionate about, what's in their heart. He said, my dream is to have eight generations of disciples. I said, that's cool. Why eight? Why not five or 28? or Why eight? And he said, oh, eight. He said, well, I'm an eighth generation disciple of my pastor, Jimmy. I said, you're eighth generation. Yeah, and then he went right down the line and he named every one of the generations. And the last three said, and Robert led Mark to the Lord, and Mark led me to the Lord. And he said, if those guys can have multiple generations of disciples, that's my dream in life. I want to start a movement. A movement is born when we have spiritual children who have spiritual children who have spiritual children. And they're carrying on with the same inner content in their hearts of the word and similar kind of methodology of sharing the gospel and gathering people and and raising up new expressions, new churches, and they're reproducing themselves. So I want to encourage you. We have not because we ask not. Ask the Lord Jesus. Ask Him for eight generations. Uh, When I moved to Africa, I started dreaming. I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, I would like to be a part of a hundred movements. That's what my dream is. I want to be the spiritual father, grandfather, great-father, grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather. I'd love to live to see spiritual sons and daughters and grandsons and, and so forth who are raising up movements. And I get to be there to cheer them on and coach them and nudge them and kick them in the backside and love on them. That's what grandparents do, right? <laughs> we give advice and the parents go home and raise the kids. (laughs) That's what I get to do. I say to my kids, yeah, good job. We got to try this. See you later. (laughs) That's my dream. I'm dreaming of that. And so if that's your dream, then you invest your time and your energy. You align your life with what your dream is, or you'll get detracted from it. Every decision you start to make vocationally, financially, Geographically, everything then will be consistent with and aligned with what's the outcome. If this, if this decision is going to be consistent with that outcome, then I'll take this step. I sometimes have fits with charismatics because we over-spiritualize guidance sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how many... Young, really passionate, charismatic young people have said, well, if the Lord speaks to me, if I, in other words, this is what I hear when they say it, if I see a cloud in the shape of Ethiopia, then I'll know. (laughs) One young guy said to me, he made the mistake, I was like fed up with that. (laughs) 
And he said, oh, if the Lord touches my heart. And I said, you know what? I'll touch your heart. Come here. (laughs) You know, Paul had prophets prophesied to him. And then he just kept right on going with what he was going to do. Don't go to Jerusalem, they said. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that I'm going to suffer imprisonment and difficulty. But none of these things move me. The prophets don't move me. The weird charismatics cannot deter me, he said. Then he gets into the home of a man who's got four daughters who prophesy, and Agabus comes along and says, If you go to Jerusalem, this will happen to you. And so Luke records it this way. He says in Acts chapter 21, By the Holy Spirit, they instructed Paul not to go. And Paul kept right on going. So let me say it this way to you. As your core values are, so you will interpret the word of the Lord. And if if your value set, if your passion is to make a mark in this world, you will interpret the impressions and the words that people give you and that you hear, whether it's consistent with what God's deposited in your heart and called you to do with your life. If I did everything that a prophet told me to do, I'd be in Disneyland acting like a clown or something. I, you know, one prophetic person after another used to come to Amsterdam. I call them tourist prophets. You know, they would fly in, get the word of the Lord, and fly out. Woo, whoopee. And one guy said something like this. Thus saith the Lord, this is a really evil place. And I'm going, duh. (laughs) And there is a spirit of death coming against you. I said, yep, that's right. I confirm that. (laughs) I was like, what's next? And he was expecting me like to run and hide or something. So what have you set your heart for? uh, Lest I'm scaring you to death. Uh, I love to hear the Holy Spirit. I cherish uh, the prophetic intervention of God. If you knew me well, you'd know how much I champion and long to hear God speak. Uh, So much so that I have a couple prophet friends who uh, we invite them to come and join us every year and invest into our lives heavily. But one of the reasons I love them is they know how to align their prophetic calling with the apostolic mission that we're on. And they understand that to be on mission with God, it will cost people their lives. They understand that it involves suffering and sacrifice. They understand that it causes great pressure on our lives. And they don't try to deter us from that. They try to empower us to remain faithful as we do that. That's how I evaluate the prophetic ministry in the church. If we're going to be, can I say, horizontally 
on target with an apostolic mission for God. We desperately need the vertical, prophetic, empowering presence of God. Paul, Paul really got this right in his life. You, you remember, of course it was the prophetic intervention that led him to Macedonia. The Spirit, he said, forbade us to go into Asia. The Spirit would not let us do it. He waited on God, then he had a vision in the middle of the night. And a man was appealing to him, and he obeyed that vision. But that vision was from God speaking to him about what he had already been called by God to do. And Paul knew what his direction were. He knew what his values were. So the prophetic was strengthening him in that process. Uh, That was all unplanned and free. Uh, We are a mission force and we're the mission field. There's a whole new paradigm we've embraced in the body when we begin to understand that God has one mission and uh, he has only got one people to accomplish that mission. Uh, Many of us have dropped the word missions and missionary from our vocabulary uh, because we find it unhelpful to the church. Because missionaries are people who go obey God. And the rest of us stay home. And you know, that just is not a biblical dichotomy. God has one mission, and uh, his mission is God. He wants to fill the whole earth with himself. And he has one people to do that, and that's you and me. I have a friend who um, owns an engineering company in Kansas City. And you could see one night we were in a discussion time together and I was ranting on like I'm doing right now. And it just all of a sudden you could just see, bing, the lights went on. He said, are you telling me that I should live as intentionally like a missionary to reach people while I'm an engineer as if somebody is going to, as a missionary to Thailand? I said, that's a pretty weird idea. What do you think about that? Wow, that is radical. I thought, man, what have you been living for all your life? But the whole idea that he was to live for God first and that his business, his vocation, was to serve the calling of God. So the Great Commission comes before the great (laughs) money-making. We're all under this commission. He said... In this passage we read this morning, go, teach, baptize, make disciples, and teach people what I command you. So we're all doing that. It just puts us in different places and different spheres of life with different abilities. So if you're a doctor, or you're a government official, or you're a banker, or you're a Contractor, whatever your, your passion and skill set is, God's put you in that place for Him. Isn't that awesome? A friend of mine came to me one morning, one day, uh, when I was pastoring in the States, a guy named Bruce. And his, you know, his whole dream in life, and I knew this, I'd spent a lot of time with Bruce, his whole dream was to become a pastor. Because, you know, the highest rung spiritually is obviously to be a pastor. When you kind of like really arrive, you're called pastor. Pastor Bruce. 
He'd gone to Bible school. He'd done the whole thing to get ready. And then he didn't get the church. So he was building houses. Kind of waiting for God. And then he got hit with a hammer, (laughs) a Holy Spirit hammer one day. And he came to me, and this is what he said. I get it, he said, I get it. I said, well, what do you get? I'm already a pastor. I said, cool. Like, like who's your church? He said, the guys I work with, they just don't know I'm their pastor yet. (laughs) He said, I have a church. I have a congregation. He said, now I wake up every morning so excited because God speaks to me about my congregation. (laughs) He said, my wife and I are investing in their lives. We're pastoring people. We're taking them out. And I saw him after that. I'd go into a little coffee shop or a Chinese restaurant. There it'd be with guys, some guy intensely meeting, having people over to his home for meals, pouring into his church. Listen, you don't have to start a church. You already have one somewhere. They just aren't saved yet. You don't have to start a cell group. Join one that's filled with non-Christians. Get inside existing communities of people and be there for them. You can do this. The Holy Spirit is with you. All authority has been given to you to do this. Amen, Floyd. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you. I need a good Baptist here, Ron. You are God's mission force and there's nobody else it can never get more holy you can never get more cold than you already are it's just saying yes to it surrendering embracing it and you know here's something really cool about this you'll love this you probably already know this but I just want to encourage you he has put within you passions Interest, gifts, abilities that make it fun. (laughs) You get to enjoy the journey. The things that you enjoy, you don't have to kind of stop being you. You actually gets to come alive and you get to do you with people who don't know Jesus yet. (laughs) So don't worry about losing who you are. Be who you are to the fullest. Isn't that cool? It's like, wow, what a... If I was God, I would have tried to come up with this idea. (laughs) I like it so much. (laughs) Any questions? Shall I make an altar call? (laughs) Anybody want to get saved? (laughs) Yeah, this, this is about signing up for that which is... We're already a part of. It's just like getting our hearts aligned with it. You can do this. When I see your tears, it just brings so much joy to me. Thank you, sweetheart. We are made for this. 
One of the early church fathers said, the glory of God is to be fully human. And when we come alive in who we are, it's all we're shedding is not our true self. It's all we're shedding is the flesh and the devil and the bondages. And then who God made us to be comes fully alive. Yes, what's your name? Melanie. Hi, Melanie. That's a great question. Melanie has asked the question, what if you have some friends and they like you, so you have good friendship connection, but they don't like your Jesus? <laughs> I remember one time talking to a young lady. Uh, she and her husband, no, her boyfriend, wasn't her husband yet, were living in a halfway house that Sally and I were leading. And um, I was sitting talking with her one day. And she said, there you go again, talking about your religion thing. Can't we be like friends? Why do you always have to talk about this? And I thought, boy, that's a good question. And uh, her name is Judith. Uh, and she's on fire today, married to a pastor. But she wasn't following Jesus yet. And I said, Judith, um, I think what I hear you saying is, you, you want to be my friend, but you don't want me to be honest about things that are really exciting to me. So you're actually asking me to kind of close down part of my life. And I said, I promise you, I'm not going to hammer you or manipulate you. And we can be friends, but I don't think we can be deep friends unless you can share the things that you and Stuart are most deeply excited about in life. And I can also share the things that I'm most deeply excited about. And I won't talk about it nonstop, but... If I leave it out of my life, then to me that means we don't have a deep friendship. It's superficial. And it's thunder, you know, because I thought, okay, our, a deep friendship is on the line here because I can't be a deep friend with somebody who says you've got to close that down and never talk about it. I was hearing her say, I don't want to be a really close friend with you and Sally. And she went away and thought about that, and she came back and she said, you know, you're right. I would never say that to another person who was not a Christian. I would always champion tolerance, but I'm intolerant of you. And I said, I promise I won't manipulate you, Judith, but I want to be, be real. So I think they have to accept you for who you are, and that means you being free to be real about who you are. And if they let you be real, and of course, being respectful and kind about that, but that you have to be free you know, to rave about what's important to you in your life. So it's not, to me, it's not either or. If they're not ready for that, if they are not there, I would say keep those friendships and love them. And, um, but I would also look for people who, who are, let's say, also want to be friends but are, are ready to go on a deeper spiritual journey with you. And... Um, we looked last night at the parable of the sower and the seed in the soil. I don't think you were here last night, were you, Melanie? Okay. You were back in the back left side? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't remember if you were there. 
But that, that parable helps us understand how Jesus allows us and wants us to see and discern. So you're not judging your friends if you discern where they are. And if they're not hungry, you can discern, well, they're caught up in this, or they're, this is where their heart's at. That's cool. I'll love them and accept them. But I encourage you to keep asking for friends who don't know Jesus, who are really hungry to grow and are, will open their life. That'll bring the greatest, deepest fulfillment to you and to them. And I, I'm pretty intentional. If people don't want to grow, I'll love them. I have a neighbor like that. Oh, my gosh, what a challenge he is. Um, but, you know, he's a friend. He likes me. He thinks I'm the only guy in the whole village. Kind of, We live in a village inside the city of Cape Town, and he thinks I'm the only guy who really understands him. And I think that's awesome. Um, but he's not really open yet. So I keep looking for those who are. I'm going to invest... 50 to 80% of my time in those who want to grow and 10, 20, 30% of my time in those who are not ready to grow. There's too many hungry, desperately hungry people who want to find truth in their life to spend our whole lives without being with those people. They're there. (laughs) 